Welcome to Halfway There. I'm Eric Nevins, and this is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. My guest today is a speaker, a trainer. He used to be a pastor, and uh, he's got a lot of interesting things to say to us today. I am excited to welcome Ken Roberts to the show. Hi, Ken. Hey, Eric. Hey, thanks. I'm looking forward as well. appreciate the invitation to uh, your podcast. Thanks, man. Yeah, welcome to Halfway There. Um, we connected through a good friend, and why don't you just tell us a little bit about how uh, or where you are in life now, what God's doing with you, and then we'll go back and work our way through your story. Okay. Yeah, right now I live in Avon Lake, which is uh, on the west side of Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, I've moved back here about a year and a half ago from uh, Maple Grove, Minnesota. And really what I'm doing right now is I, I transitioned from being a full-time pastor for 33 years. I was a senior pastor in two different two different locations over those times and really moved into, you know, what many people call convergence. And so now I uh, really have the privilege of traveling and doing some speaking. I do quite a bit of training with uh, leaders. I'm also, I've had a chance to write uh, two books and I'm working on some other books right now. And then I've had the chance to do some coaching. So, you know, really, Eric, it's just a season of my life. I'm 61 years of age as we do this podcast, just turned 61, where really I'm able to live and to lead out of the sweet spot of my life. So it's a, it's a great time, great season. I'm married, my wife, Missy, we've been married 10 years. Just came by that anniversary and uh, we have, uh, we have three kids and I have uh, one grandson and we're in a, we're in a very special time of life. Oh, that's great. I love to hear that you feel like you're in your sweet spot. That is, um, it's unusual. Not everybody has that opportunity. J. Robert Clinton in his book, you may be familiar with it. Uh, yeah. Making of a uh, prop out of Fuller many years ago. I think he says that uh, less than uh 20% of leaders ever make it to their sweet spot. So, uh, you know, make it to convergence. So it's, it's, uh, I, I'm glad I'm here, <laughs> Yeah, but it's been a, it's been a journey as your podcast, uh, you know, name states has been a journey in getting here. Yeah, absolutely. That's what we want to talk about. So tell us a little bit about, you know, take us back, uh, to your growing up years. And then I want to know how you came to Christ. Okay. Uh, my parents, uh, grew up in a, in a religious home. They were from Missouri. When they got married, uh, they got away from the Lord. My dad moved, they moved from Missouri to, to Michigan. And uh, long story short, my dad uh, returned you know, to his experience with the Lord and also got involved in a church there that was really having, a, I, would, I would say, a true revival, a little, a little church in a place called Niles, Michigan. My dad was a musician. And so he started traveling with a quartet and they would go in Indiana, Illinois, Ohio, and sing and, you know, on, Wednesday, on Monday, uh, Sunday nights and those things. Well, my dad began to feel he was getting uh, one of the calls into ministry full time. So at the age of six, we moved to Savannah, Tennessee. My dad took his first church. So pretty much all my life since my age of six, you know, I, I grew up in a pastor's home. Uh, for me, that was a very positive experience. I'm in the middle of seven kids. We're uh, all musical, you know, so we travel with my dad. We... Uh, uh, what, what I saw my dad speak on Sunday morning, that's who he was on Monday afternoon, you know, so it was just a very uh, authentic life for me. I made a commitment to Jesus Christ at the age of seven. I uh, still remember it. You know, that's 54 years ago. 
it was on a Sunday night in my dad's little church, that little church there in Savannah, Tennessee. Um, Sunday night, I raised my hand, went down front, made a commitment to Jesus Christ. And, you know, really, Eric, that's 54 years ago, and I've been um, on that path ever since. I would say I've really never never wavered. You know, I've never had any major detours. I've tried to be, uh, you know, faithful in that journey. And uh, so that's kind of my growing up years, and that's how I came to Christ. Yeah, that's great. Um, okay, so tell us about some of your kind of early learning experiences about the Lord. When when did Christ really become personal for you? Um, that's a great question. Well, I would say from early on when I when I you know accepted Christ, I, I've always had an authentic relationship and an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. I felt a call into ministry uh, three days before my 17th birthday. I still remember that. I was at a uh, youth retreat that our, of our denomination. There was about 3,000 young adults there. And uh, I remember I was sitting up in the balcony with some of my friends and felt, uh, you know, really it's just a tug in my heart that I wanted to give my life, you know, to Christ for full-time service, uh, probably through the life of the church. And uh, so that's kind of was my uh, initial experience with that. But, you know, I've always been involved in ministry. Like I said, you know, I, I in our youth group, uh, we used to travel with a drama show. Uh, I was kind of seen as the leader. You know, I was I would communicate. I would give a, a response to salvation at the end. Uh, I was always involved in worship. Uh, so I, I've had a I would say a, you know, a true life, uh, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ for a long time. It was not religious. Although there were some, always some religious components of it, but I would say it was a, it was an authentic faith in my life in the beginning. Mm. What did that look like? Like if you had to describe it, what what would we like? How would we experience it? Uh, well, for me, you know, this was the this was the sixties and seventies. That's that's in my earlier days. For me, it was. Um, you know, I think I had I had ongoing devotions, you know, of uh, in the word. Um, I tried to live my life uh, that was true to the uh, commands of the word. So, you know, I lived a, a moral life. I had a life of uh, I had a life of worship. I had a life of, I would say, service to others. Uh, I had a life of appreciating the uh, spiritual community or the local church I was a part of. Uh, I had a life of l- loving to hear testimonies of uh, missionaries come through, and oftentimes they would stay with us, stay in our home, and hear their journey and their life of faith and miracles that they'd experienced and those type of things. Uh, sharing my faith was a fairly common thing, uh, you know, in school and high school. Yeah. Uh, um, so that was my life. I would say it was not heavily duty-driven wrongly. But I, but I, uh, that was the way I expressed it. It was kind of the, what was, it was kind of how it was known to it to be expressed at the time. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you were very sincere and you, you lived Christianly, I think is how you put it, right? Right. That's, yeah. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Well, so you felt called to ministry. Where did that lead you? Uh, originally I, I ended up, you know, after I went to seminary, I went to Bible college and went in seminary. And then after that, I, uh, ended up coming to camp, to Cleveland here, uh, through a church plant that was happening. It was, uh, happening through the Catholic charismatic renewal was happening here in the eighties in, in Cleveland. Cleveland is a large Catholic area. 
And uh, I was here and I helped a guy plant a church. And I ended up being on the staff there for five years. And then we were doing a lot of church planting. And after five years, we sent the senior guy out uh, to plant another work. And I became the senior leader. So I ended up uh, leading this church. It was called North Coast Church here in Cleveland, Ohio. And I was here for 25 years. Okay, so you were involved in ministry. You're you're being a pastor because I've heard that it can be it can be really challenging to be a pastor. Um, right. Was that what was that your experience? Well, you know, again, it was overall it was a very very positive experience. Uh, it was a church that had that had grown a lot. Uh, it was a church that was really on a you know on a, on an upward growth curve. Uh, a lot of people coming to know the Lord. A lot of a lot of young people. We were all fairly young. Uh, we were really built on a discipleship model, uh, on a community community model, a relationship model. So that was overall, I would say, it was a it was a great experience. You know, it had its challenges, like any any uh, any leadership does, and you get discouraged at times. But um, for me, what happened, and uh, you know, we we talked about this a little bit, but for me, what happened is, I would say that I. I hit the wall. I came to my, you know, come to Jesus moment, I would say, in my mid-40s. I had been leading for a while. Uh, Things had been going well. Uh, The church was kind of well-known in the area. You know, everything was positive. And um, then I began to have my own kind of personal uh, crisis of faith, asking some serious questions. Here's the questions I started asking. I felt like there was a growing gap between the reality and my in my inner life and the responsibilities that I were being, I was being asked to do externally. And uh, so I began to kind of have a crisis of faith. You might say in that way to say, really, who am I becoming? I began asking the serious question, what are we as a church really producing? Are we really producing, you know, followers of Jesus Christ? Um, and so that, that kind of came, became the moment for me when I began to realize, I, you know, I got to a place where I really, I didn't want to go to church anymore. <laughs> Even though I was leading it, I didn't want to be involved in a in a long worship service. Uh, you know, I just my my there was a gap between what was happening in my heart and uh, what my external responsibilities were. You know, as as a pastor. Yeah. So, I'm curious. Like, what do you attribute that to? Uh, I think for me it was a couple different things. I think uh, you know, I had some relational disappointments. You know, some relationships that had once been close that. Division came in, uh, so there was discouragement, disappointments in that area. Our church had also had been involved in two or three major revivals, where we had really seen a lot of things happen. But on the on the, I always said the there's a downside to the upside of a revival, you know. And the the downside is you can't stay there forever. And there, so when you get on the backside of a you know of a move of God or a revival. Mm-hmm. And I began to really uh, have some real disappointments regarding uh, where we really, what we were really building, uh, you know, what we were really producing as a, as a local church. Uh, I think you have disappointments as the leaders. You know, you expect things to go in a certain direction. You expect certain people to do certain things that they end up not doing. Uh, you do have some, you know, sometimes there's criticism. Uh, there's expectations you can't fulfill. And for me, it was more just an accumulation of those. And that's usually what happens with leaders. It was not like just one event. Mm. It may have been been one event that, as they say, broke the camel's back. But usually it's an accumulation of discouragement, disappointment, relational tension, 
criticisms, um, expectations that can't be fulfilled, you know, people having their own, pulling you in a lot of different directions. And then uh, that kind of can build up to there's a point where you do feel like you're having a, um, a crisis of faith. And that's, that's really what happened to me. So it was no yeah. one event, but it was a, it was an accumulation of several. No, I think that's really interesting. You know, it makes me think of how toxins from foods or different things that you eat can build up in the body, right? You're and right. that can happen to you spiritually as well. Sounds, sounds like that was your experience. Yeah, that's a great analogy. That's a great analogy. Yeah. And then, uh, okay, so, I mean, that's pretty significant. If you're a pastor and you don't want to go to the worship service, you're probably responsible for planning the worship service. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, leading it. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Right. What'd you do with that? Well, I was fortunate enough that uh, I tripped into some, uh, you know, some spiritual disciplines that were at the time were not a part of my uh, Christian upbringing. I, I was raised in a, in a classic Pentecostal denomination, and um, you know, and so prayer and fasting and meditation on the Word, and you know, prayer and fasting and worship and meditation on the Word. I mean, those were those were pretty. Uh, usual staples of our spiritual disciplines. But during that season of my life, I really I stumbled into some of the classic spiritual disciplines that I, that I was not that familiar with at the time. Things like, uh, you know, uh, simplicity, solitude, silence, uh, you know, uh, meditation. Uh, and what I begin to find, I begin to find, for me, I call it this way, I begin to begin to find a new or a fresh well, spiritual well, in spiritual, in classic spiritual disciplines, uh, that have been historic in the in the life of the church. So what was happening with me is that's where I was being fed. I was mm-hmm. being fed in those areas. Uh, you know, I was I was doing a little bit more work in my inner life. Um, and so that's that's really how I dealt with that. Yeah. Well. Okay. I want to talk about that a little bit because okay. I, I think that's really fascinating. Um, so you discovered these classic spiritual disciplines. How did you discover them? Well, I had read I had read uh, Richard Foster's you know okay. spiritual disciplines from way back in college. Uh, I was becoming familiar with Dallas Willard and a lot of Dallas Willard's writings uh, at the time. Uh, so that was another source that I began to move into. Uh, and from there, I just kind of started, uh, you know, pursuing different different ones that would be referred to me, and I would begin to begin to read them and begin to meditate on them. So that's kind of how it happened with me. Sure, yeah, which is so awesome because I had the same experience. Richard Foster is really how I discovered some of those things, and you know, uh, I've, I've found silence. There's a silent retreat center here in Colorado, um, like 20 minutes from our house. It's the best place on earth, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, there's no responsibility. There's no, they don't, nobody expects anything from you. And that's so unusual in our, right. in yeah. our world. Right. Did you just, so was, was it stuff like that that was valuable to you? Or like, I'm just really curious because I think there's a lot of people um, who are in a similar spot, right? Where what they've been told is read the Bible and pray. And, uh, this sort of spiritual discipline stuff, as you say, that's you know historical and been used by the church for literally thousands of years, uh, it feels kind of woo-woo. And so, right. I'm I'm wondering, like, how do you or just t- take us into that experience and and why it's not woo-woo? Well, 
of course, you're very familiar with, and probably a lot of your uh, listeners are, you know, with the material on the the critical the critical journey, and yes. that that I know you've you you've used it and referenced it before. And generally, through stage three, you know, we have we have systems that help us get in our spiritual growth there. So we have pastors in our life, we have teachers in our life, we have structures in our life, we have church uh, meetings in our life, we have ways to approach God in our life, you know, that have really worked for us and have brought us to a certain possibly place in our spiritual journey. And, but then when we usually, we hit this, we hit this wall, however we hit this wall, you know, we can hit it in lots of different ways, but when we hit this wall, usually uh, those particular types of structures or disciplines won't get us to where we need to go next. And so that's kind of what I experienced. And again, that's why spiritual disciplines to me became a new, a new fresh well that helped me to navigate through the wall. And here's why I think that is here. I can give you some thoughts on why I think that is. Yeah. Of course, I think, I think, I think uh, silence and solitude uh, is R- Ruth Haley Barton. And one of her books makes it a great, she says that, um, silence and solitude, they, they let what's happening in your soul surface, you know? So if you're dealing with, uh, if you're dealing with disappointment, if you're dealing with, uh, confusion, if you're dealing with a life crisis or a faith crisis, solitude and silence allows your soul to surface you know it's like a they it's like a, a, a an a, an animal won't come out unless you're unless you're quiet our souls the same way mm. and uh, so that helped me in a lot just by silence and solitude i didn't have to keep up the pace all the time i could really you know say you know god what is happening in me uh you know what's what is this i'm feeling why do i feel a disconnect of the um spiritual you know, um, conduits that I've used, used to, uh, to be in. So I, I think that's one thing that's, uh, that helped me just in silence. And then the other thing is, I think, you know, you're able to engage with God in a new way. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, ultimately these things take you into your own personal intimate relationship with Jesus that isn't predicated upon somebody else doing it for you or it being defined by how everybody else thinks it should be. It takes you, I think, into a more understanding of, again, our union we have with him, how we engage with God, um, you know, how how we have this ongoing, authentic journey with Jesus. And so it, it begins to kind of shed shed some of the scaffolding we built up up to that point. And I just think it takes you to a more intimate and authentic relationship with, with Jesus Christ. So you almost have to unlearn some things, mm-hmm. I find. and. And you also, you're. I, I find I'm more, um, I'm more subtle with mysteries than I used to be. I don't, you know, I don't try to find an answer for everything, or put everything that I'm experiencing in one little, one little box. So I think it opens me up. It has opened me up more to the ebb and flow of my relationship with Jesus Christ and some things that are mysteries. They're, they're mysteries to life, or mysteries to my faith, or mysteries to things I don't understand. Sometimes I don't have a concrete answer for everything. I don't feel like I need to have that answer anymore. So uh, I think spiritual disciplines really help you to go build a, a more uh, intimate life in your inner life 
you know, with your relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah. Ken, I could not have given a better description of growing in spiritual maturity than what you just did. Um, I love that. I think the, uh, it, you know, what you said about, hey, sometimes we outgrow these things and these, what, what got us where we're going isn't what got us here. Yeah. And very, very true. Yeah. It's interesting to think about that from a spiritual perspective. Sometimes we think about that with leadership or uh, business, maybe. But to think about that from a spiritual perspective, that yeah, there's a time when we outgrow what we actually used to do and we need to open ourselves up to what God wants to do next. That's yeah. awesome. And I think because there isn't a lot of teaching on that, you yeah. know, then it makes people feel really feel confused. They're not aware of that. Maybe they don't have people in their lives to kind of take them through that process. Uh, you know, they feel like what's wrong with me, or maybe even the church system feels a little bit threatened when a person gets to that point. And so I think even what, with what you're doing with the, the podcast here, just kind of that conversation, everybody goes through this in some season of their life and usually more than once. Yeah. And it can either take you into a much deeper, intimate, authentic relationship in your spiritual journey, or it can take you up down other, other paths but if you understand that it's something that you you will experience, you will hit these uh, detours or these walls in your journey. But if you find ways to move through them, they will take you to a much deeper place uh, in a much greater place of wholeness and healing in your own life. Yeah, it's hard because you can't do these things in mass. You know, it's a lot <laughs> it's a lot easier to teach people, uh, you know, in like a big class or a, a sermon and give them some knowledge and ask them to do something or go work in the nursery or whatever it is, then it is to actually walk with somebody who's having these kinds of questions or need somebody to teach them how to be quiet or how to, you know, pray imaginatively, things like that. It's hard to do I, with a lot of people. I, yeah, I totally, totally agree. Yeah. I think it's not the one is right and one is wrong. It's that, you know, certain structures get people to a certain place which are needed but again once they have to move beyond that we're not really that that good at helping them understand how to do that and to move into you know stage four the next phase of their spiritual journey mm -hmm. so yeah so it happened to me as a pastor which is kind of you know somewhat i guess unusual or maybe not unusual but i just begin to realize i was 46 47 years of age at the time and I just begin to realize, uh, you know, I and I have I would say looking back, I realized I had three options at the time. This, this is important. I had three options at the time. Uh, the one option was to continue to do what I was doing in the way that I was doing and let the gap between my inner life and my outer responsibilities continue to grow. That's what I would call becoming more and more religious. Meaning there's a there's a disconnect between what we're doing, what we're saying, what we're confessing, how we're acting, how we're performing. There's a disconnect between that uh, outward appearance and really the authenticity of what's happening in our life. And a lot of people and a lot of leaders, that's they get involved, that that becomes one of the, uh, the paths they go down is they just kind of still play the game. Uh, you know, try to do whatever they're doing uh, and try to stay out of trouble and just try to, you know, hope they can make it to retirement and keep picking up their check until then. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean that a lot of times you don't know what else to do. 
Mm-hmm. And so, but you do feel that there's a, there's a disconnect between your, what's happening in you and what you're being uh, expected to put out. So that's one that uh, often happens that I realized was a, uh, a possibility of the detour in the road for me back then at, at the age of 47. And the second one is, honestly, is the second one is, was that's how people get in the ditch. That's how leaders get in yep. trouble, I think. I think, you know, when we hit a wall, uh, temptation is stronger in our life. When we hit a wall, cracks that are already there become, you know, larger cracks. Uh, I call it when we're, we're trying to find something to jumpstart our soul. Our, our soul is, you know, feeling somewhat dead. Our soul is feeling somewhat um, uh, out of equilibrium. And oftentimes we get in trouble by trying to find something that will jumpstart our soul. And I think that's where, again, people and leaders, they often get in trouble. It's amazing how that temptation seems to be so strong in our mid forties. Um, and then the third path is really is a path. It's straight ahead that we just talked about the, the third path is getting someone to help you work through your wall so that on the other side of it, you have a deeper, uh, more whole, healthier, you know, authentic journey and relationship with Jesus Christ. And that, and that's really, that's really when we're made. I mean, our life message, the essence of who we are, uh, happens by us moving through these times of crisis and coming out on the other side. You know, that's really it's a, it's it's a greater place of greater maturity and greater health and greater wholeness. Yeah. Now I think I know, but I'm guessing you chose the last one. Yeah. You know, I did. I was fortunate enough at the time. I didn't exactly know that's what was happening, but. That, that has led me now to, you know, that's why I'm now in convergence that we talked about earlier. That's why I feel like that I'm living and leading out of my sweet spot because for the, the wall helps you do a couple different things. It helps you shed things of your past container that's not helpful for your next, your next season of life. So you got to work through those things, what they are. It does, definitely deepens, I think, an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. You, you're walking in a deeper way than you've ever done. Uh, third, I think it really helps you clarify who you are. You know, who is Ken Roberts and your wall when you go through difficult times and you work through it, uh, it helps you further define this is who I am. You know, this is not who I am. Uh, this is the essence of how I'm made. And then I think the other thing it does, it really helps you clarify what your, what your purpose is. You know, instead of me, instead of doing 10 things, really, what am I designed to do? And so, yeah, I would say looking back, that has uh, staying on that path and going through those things has taken me to a deeper place. And I would do say, I'd have to say to you, I think that's one reason that I'm one, I'm, I'm living out of convergence is because I was able to make it through that phase or that stage in life. Now, the other thing occurred that you're aware of, but we haven't talked about yet. That was in, that was in the year 2000. So again, I was 46, 47 at the time. Uh, and then just a couple years later, uh, my late wife was killed on a car accident. So, uh, it was on a Tuesday morning. Uh, we had gotten up to have our devotions and, uh, went downstairs, had a cup of coffee, had our conversation about the week, you know, and the schedule, who's coming over when, what do we have to do on Thursday night? What's Wednesday night look like? Where the, where the kids have to be Friday afternoon and just did our normal stuff. Went upstairs, uh, kissed each other. 
said goodbye. Uh, she went to drop my daughter off at our office where she worked, and then she was going to go to a women's Bible study. I went to work out, uh, got finished working out, was on my way home, got a phone call from my daughter, uh, and my daughter said, hey, Dad, the hospital's calling for you, and she, she said, Mom's had an, has, has had an accident, and uh, we had no idea if it was you know, a little fender bender. She was checking out her neck, make sure she didn't have, uh, you know, she had a broken arm, had no idea. Got to the hospital and uh, my wife of 25 years at the age of 47 was uh, laying in front of me in a coma. And uh, she had had a brain aneurysm, went to a red light, young man hit her in the driver's side. Uh, she'd hit her head on the windshield, uh, brain trauma, and she died three days later. Mm. So I'm, I'm saying that for a couple things is that I was already on this journey into a deeper inner life three years before my wife's accident occurred. And that led me then through this greatest crisis I'd ever had in my life. Uh, and it led me through and I began to realize that God didn't cause this but that God will use all things to conform us into the image of his son. And I, I begin to navigate that crisis in my life of losing my wife, that somehow if I would, if I would embrace God in it and embrace this now as, the, as, as a part of my life, as a season of my life, that he would use it to, you know, to shape me more and more into the image of a son like nothing else I'd ever experienced. So my inner life journey, my going through the wall, my finding a depth in God that I'd never experienced before, my, uh, you know, embracing the mysteries of life, uh, me figuring out who I really, who I really am, what I'm really called to do, how I really want to live my life, you know, they all came out as a result of moving through that tragedy in my life. And uh, then led me to the journey that I'm on and have been on, you know, ever since then. That was in 20, that was in 2014. Wow. That was in 2004. I'm sorry, 2004. Okay. Yeah. It sounds like what I'm thinking while I'm listening to you is you, you know, like you said, you were already on that journey and then your wife passes away suddenly. This is a very dangerous time for you, right? You, you could have gone a lot of different directions that weren't healthy. Extremely dangerous. One other, one other uh, ingredient in the whole thing is nine months before my wife was killed in a car accident, our church, which was a, was a large church, had just built our first building. Uh, 1,500 feet auditorium, 36-acre uh, campus, you know, $10 million project. And we got in the building and we began to have difficulty you know, uh, we had a large mortgage and all those type of things. And we were only in there nine months when my wife's accident occurred. So the combination of me, um, me having questions regarding my own leadership and what we were reproducing and what was the church world really like. Third, having the pressure of a large facility now that I was responsible for. And then, you know, third, my wife being killed in a car accident, you put all those together. And yes, I was in a very, very uh, vulnerable place at the time. Wow. So how did you 
navigate that? How did you choose to go in a direction of depth and openness with God instead of anger? And or maybe maybe you did go through that. I don't know. Yeah, I went through I went through some of the stages, you know, but I would say not a lot. I uh Eric, all I can say to you is that, you know, it's hard for me to explain it now, but sure. I think all I can all I can say is that somehow again I knew on the front end of this that this would be the most life-shaping experience I'd ever gone through. Mm. And I made a commitment on the front end that I wanted to embrace it and embrace God in it so that when I got out on the other side of it, however long this valley, the shadow of death would last, you know, however long I had to walk through this valley, I didn't know. But I made a commitment that once I got out to the other side of it, I wanted to be better for it and not worse for it. I wanted to become more like Jesus and not more bitter. I wanted to become, you know, deeper in my walk with him and not more shallow, et cetera. So I think, I think that had a lot to do with it is just where my mind was at. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. This is going to shape me. And, and, you know, how is it going to shape me? Will it shape me for the better or will it shape me for the worse? Uh, and I think that grid really helped me move through it. Again, I, I was involved with spiritual disciplines. They helped a lot. Uh, I was involved with, uh, you know, a good, uh, group of men. It was an, it was an accountability group, you know, that we, uh, we met together and we talked about our hearts together and we talked about our future together, you know, so I had a good community around me. Uh, but you know, I just, I, I experienced a new side of grace that I had never known, you know, grace in my weakness, grace in God carrying me grace when I was not strong, uh, grace when things seemed to be falling apart around me. And again, just uh, a new intimacy with the Father as I walk through this thing. Yeah, I love that. I think you're right. That commitment to, I'm going to make sure that this draws me closer to God, not away from God, is huge. Right, yeah. Yeah, shaping for sure. Wow, okay. Well, so you eventually left, I don't know if it was that church, you eventually moved into what you're doing now. Can you connect those those two pieces? Yeah. So when my wife was, was killed in a car accident, and like I said, we had just moved to a large facility. So I felt that I needed to stay there. So I stayed there for another three years uh, as a senior pastor. And I was a widower for three and a half years. And then God graciously uh, brought you know, a relationship into my life. And uh, we have been married, like I said earlier, uh, 10 years, just past our 10-year mark. Uh, once we got engaged and got married, we were still living here in Cleveland. And then I made a decision once I got married to to resign that church as a senior pastor and um, ended up, uh, you know, ended up in Maple Grove, Minnesota, uh, leading a church there and was there for eight years. It was a great time for us. It was a time for me to, you know, refocus uh, how I wanted to uh, lead a church, refocus the values I wanted to put in a spiritual community. It was a time for me and my wife, her name is Missy, for Missy and I to you know, just rebuild our own life. So we were, we were away. There was, we weren't around any family. Uh, it was a kind of our own time of rebuilding and had a, had a great, uh, great eight years there. And then I can tell you what happened for me, um, about three years, about three years ago, I began to feel that, that, uh, that stirring, that unsettledness, but that there was something next for me. And I wasn't exactly sure what it was, but I knew a change was coming. And then over time, as I kind of process that uh we ended up moving back here to cleveland uh we've been back here about a year and a half now and really we did that for two different reasons and we talked about this a little bit earlier 
uh, you know, one, I, I had a grandson that was just born and uh, we wanted to be back to family. We've been away from family for a long time. Most of my family, most of my wife's family lives here in the area. And so I was just thinking about the next, you know, 10, 15, 20 years of my life. And I'm just saying, I, I don't want to be away from home. I want to be close to my family. So we moved back for that reason. But we wouldn't have moved back for that reason alone. The second reason we moved back is what I talked about earlier, is I knew I was on the front end of convergence in my life and leadership. And I knew that that for my next 10 to 15 years of my you know leadership life, my ministry life, that I really needed to more narrowly focus what I was supposed to do. So I'd been a senior pastor for a long time. That has, those had been fruitful years, but I was asked myself, you know, what, um, what am I passionate about? What do I want to give my time, effort, and energy about for the next 10, 15 years of my life? And so really, uh, you know, it, for me, it's come down to, it's come down to three things. Um, the first one. So here's what I say. I say, here's the three nails I want to hit for the rest of my life. Here's the three nails I want to pound for the next rest of my life. The first one is really helping, helping uh, individuals and also local churches in the whole area of really what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. This whole thing about discipleship. Uh, and we, we, we all know we're supposed to become more like Jesus. We all know we're supposed to grow in the nature of Christ. I mean, we hear that what's taught. That's that's uh, foundational in in our Christian faith. But my big question has been: This has been for the last probably fifteen to twenty years. Uh, has been okay. How do we do this? You know, okay, we know we're supposed to do it, but how do we do it? I've always been a practitioner asking the question: Okay, how? You know, okay, we're supposed to do it. How we do it? So that's one of the areas I focus on, and just trying to you know help people. Uh, get unstuck in their spiritual journey, help people really define for them what it really means to be a follower of Jesus, uh, help people in a very practical way. How do I become more like Jesus Christ? You know, what's the templates and the tools to do that? So that's the first nail. The second one then is what we talked about earlier, because my own leadership journey, my own life journey, um, I want to help pastors and Christian leaders. Here's the way I say it. Live well while they lead well. So my focus there is helping leaders live from the inside out, you know, live, uh, uh, focus on their inner life so that they're healthy and whole and they're also growing. And so I call it the uh, living well while you lead well. And then really my third area, uh, third nail I want to hit is um, helping followers of Jesus focus their life so they can live a fruitful life. I uh, I personally believe that, you know, Christians should be the most fruitful people on the planet, but I'm not sure that we often we are. And so, you know, trying to help. How do we again, how do we focus our life so that we can live a purposeful life, so we can live a productive life, so we can live a fruitful life? So the thing that's so freeing about that, Eric, at this season of my life, uh, like I said, I just turned 61, is I I really know who I am and I really know what I'm you know called to do. And uh, therefore, I made the I made the move back to Cleveland so I could really focus on that, be with family, and really live out of my my season of convergence as in my life and as a leader. Yeah. So you know who you are and who you're not. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say again, you know, full loop on this. What brought me there is is going through the walls that we talked about earlier, going through those seasons where you know something's not right 
internally. You know that, you know, there's a gap happening. Going through life crisis, space crisis, and being able to go through them brings you then, I think, to a place of greater health, greater wholeness, greater clarity on who you are and greater clarity on what you're called to do. Yeah. So if somebody's feeling that sense of gap, as you call it, what what is what should they do? What's the step they should take? in order to address that? Well, I, I would say, um, without this being sound like it's, you know, self-promotion cause it's, cause it's not, I, the first thing I would say to somebody is to find either a, either a, either, either a good coach that's been through this or find a spiritual director that's been through this mm-hmm. that can help you ask the right questions, read the right material, process the right things because it's very difficult to do it on your own. I mean, I, I, you know, I get graciously, I guess I would say I, I did not have that in my life at the time. I found all this great material. I kind of got involved in a community that was more, more aware of, of these inner life things. But I would, my, the first thing I would say to somebody, if you're really serious about, about trying to make it through these things or figure these things out, Get somebody in your life who's been there, done that. They know the journey, and they can they can uh, you know they can lead you along the path. Uh, it would it would save a lot of people a lot of time, effort, pain, yeah. uh, confusion, detours by simply finding somebody who's a great spiritual coach, uh, and also or somebody who's a, who's a really is a is a spiritual director. Yeah. But I would only, I would only get somebody who not simply knows these concepts, but somebody who has gone through them and they're on the other side. So they know the concepts, but they've also experienced the concepts, but they had the, they have the fruitfulness to communicate the concepts. And so I would, I would follow somebody who's already been through the journey. And yeah. that's not a that's not a plug for you know what I do. That's just the reality is what I would say. It would help a lot of people. Well, I think you're right. And so what I want to point I want to make about that is start at your church. You may not find it there. The reality is most, especially if you're evangelical, most evangelicals don't really have a concept of spiritual direction. Um, I would agree. I would agree. Yeah, yep. and, and if that's true, then then look around. And so, um, you know, you're. I, I appreciate your uh, hesitance to not promote yourself, but I do want to do that because you're, you are a coach. And so people could connect with you. I'll put a link in the show notes. People can find that at halfway Click the show notes for this page and I'll link over to you. That's an easy way to do it. Um, okay. But you're right. There is, there, there are people out there like yourself or, you know, just Google spiritual direction in your area. You may have to go outside of your normal denomination the spot I mentioned earlier um, in Sedalia is called the Jesuit or Sacred Heart Jesuit Retreat House. They've got spiritual directors there. A lot of my audiences here in Colorado, some around the around the country and world. Um, but you can find you may have to go outside of your normal tradition, and you might grow yeah. that way as well. Um, yeah. Let me let me offer uh, let me offer offer three uh, resources there that I'm connected to directly. Uh, one is uh, I wrote a book. Uh, I stumbled into it after my late wife's passing called Unexpected Navigating Life's Unforeseen Turns. And so that little book, it's a book, 140 pages or whatever, has helped, you know, Eric, uh, really literally thousands of people navigate through 
times of um, just uncertainty, uh, unexpected seasons in their life. It doesn't have to be a tragedy as, as dramatic as mine was. It could be a you know divorce. It could be a sickness. It could be a losing a spouse. But so that little book's been very helpful. Unexpected navigating life's unforeseen turns. The second one that I would say for leaders, uh, I wrote a book a couple of years ago called Staying Power. Five core ideas to sustainability in Christian leadership. And it's really my journey, but I list I list five things that are core, I think, for a leader to remain healthy over the over the, the long haul. My story's in there, my journey's in there, some of the things we talked about's in there. But again, that book has uh has helped uh, li- literally thousands of, of pastors and church leaders to consider their inner life, to consider where they're at, to consider how can I do this over the long haul. And then the third uh, resource is a resource that actually is just coming out. Uh, it'll be out in January, but uh, I'm doing a life focus uh, online coaching course. Oh, cool! And that, and that's to help people really do uh, you know focus their life so they can live a fruitful life. So uh, those are some things that are connected to this conversation we've had. And if I could serve people, help them anyway, uh, I'd be honored to do that. Awesome. Okay. Well, send me a link over for that uh, when you have it. And I'll put that in the show notes at halfwaytherepodcast.com. Okay. Great. Uh, What's next for you? Where's God leading you, you think? Uh, You know, I've been at this now. I made this transition for a year and a half. Uh, As we do this podcast right now, it's the end of 2017, uh, moving into 2018. So, you know, I'm thinking about that. But really, I I, I believe that uh, these three areas of focus that I talked about is what I want to remain focused on and I think they're going to continue to deepen hopefully they'll continue to deepen in my own life they'll continue to deepen the content and I think they'll continue to expand uh, you know to help others so if you were to ask me uh, what's next for me I hope to continue to be you know someone who's speaking training writing and coaching and helping people in those three areas that I just mentioned I really do think that's next for me and uh, again, I'm I'm grateful that I feel like I'm in a great, 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 great season of life. Oh, I love that, Ken. Thanks a lot for being here. Thanks, Eric. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Bless you, man. Yeah, friends, you can get uh, all the links that we talked about uh, with Ken. His books um, and some of the other books that we mentioned are all linked at halfwaytherepodcast.com. Go check that out, and we'll see you over there.